Greetings, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Theory of Enchantment podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Valdry. I know it's been a while, folks, but welcome. I'm excited for 2020. I hope you are too. Let's start this year off great. Start this year off with a good heart, with good intentions, with great optimism. And let's try to change ourselves and change the world for the better. And speaking of changing ourselves for the better, in this episode, we speak with Dabney Hall. Dabney Hall was incarcerated. He was in prison for 40 years for second degree murder, but he turned his life around. He changed his worldview. He changed his habits. He changed his mindsets and totally transformed himself in the process. And now he's mentoring young people in the neighborhood, in Bedsty. He's involved with Children of Promise, as am I. And today we sat down to discuss what his life's journey was like and any advice he might have to impart on the youth today. I hope you enjoy. Uh, like I said in the beginning, this is going to be a very informal, very uh, chill and smooth interview. Um, so I just want to start by asking you to tell, tell our listeners your story. First of all, my name is Dabney Hall, and it's a pleasure to be here, it's an honor to, to tell my story. First and foremost, I'm 63 years old. Uh, I sit then 40 years in prison. Uh, I survived colon cancer, which that was 17 years ago, and I just persevered. You know, I give encourage to my Lord Savior Jesus Christ who helped me, you know, to provide here. Mm-hmm. And if any question you'd like to ask, please feel free. So let me ask the first question I, that comes to mind very simple is, like, where did you grow up? What was your upbringing like? And, uh, you know, was that, what was that like? I was growing up in Brooklyn, New York, Kings County Hospital. Uh, my father's Dabney Hall, senior. My mother's Edith Hall, Edith by Hall. Uh, I, I was growing up in a household back in the 50s, because I'm 63. And it was very, you know, disciplined, you know. Okay. But I was, you know, one of the black sheep of the family when I was young, but I was very liked about because I was very helpful. Okay. Um, I learned how to cook when I was like six years old, which my aunt and them taught me how to cook. Uh, I know how to sew, I know how to do certain things with, in my family it's 95% girls. Okay. And I grew up in a household with a lot, lot of love. And you know, it was just the lifestyle that I lived where it brought me to here where I turned straight. Okay. You know, I was, um, a young, hard-headed individual when I was growing up. Okay. And I was getting in a lot of things. I was very bright, likable, but I was very devilish. You okay. Know what I'm and came through school. I like, wow. Play hooky a lot. Okay. Um, got my education while I was in prison. Mm-hmm. And I just feel that instead of wasting time to exist, I use time to live, and that's and this brought me here. So any. You know, any other question for us, my background, family. I'm a Brooklynite. I'm born and raised in Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, uh, I, um, you could just name it. I, age 11 years old, you know, just like I'm giving you my story. Age 11 years old, I'm sniffing heroin. Wow. Yes. At 11. At 11 years old. At the age, 1969, age of 13 years old, I was shooting heroin. How, how did that start? It started in the streets of watching the older people, I grew up on a heroin era. Okay. And watching people, and I had an older sister, very older sister, and 
I used to always be with her, and I used to watch her, and I was curious. Okay. And I tried it, you know. Like I said, I've been there, done that, and saw that. There's nothing that you can tell me with drugs that I've been in, except crack era, because I was locked up in the crack era. Okay. And I believe God has saved me from that era, mm-hmm. from that crack era. But I grew up on the heroin era. I went to all programs, again, and I stopped in 1974. Mm-hmm. I didn't touch heroin since. In 1976, that's when I caught this homicide. Okay. Where it was an uh, individual was going to kill me, but I shot him first. Mm-hmm. I take responsibility for my actions, mm-hmm. you know, at that time, and I was sentenced to 25 to life. The 25 years didn't dawn me when I got sentenced until I had 15 years, and then I okay. had to do it. It didn't dawn on me. I was still had that street mentality, mm-hmm. but I wasn't wasn't into the drugs. I was just into making a name for myself. I'm saying I got to do 25 years to life. No telling when I'm gonna come home. So, being in prison, it was a survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, can you talk a little bit about what prison life was like when you were in prison? Well, when I came through, my number was 78A 1810. I will never forget that number. I brought my whole prison uniform home. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. to, to show people how I wore this hair for 40 years. And I was going, you go by name, not by name, by number. Mm-hmm. And prison life, I went through the, I had three rides while I was in prison. Okay. Uh, I've been through the stabbings. I've been through the assaults on staff. I'm the assaults on inmates. You know, you had to survive. And I, I had survived, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it was no cookies and creams for me, mm-hmm. you know, and I thank God they brought me through, you know, of the trials and tribulations that I went through in prison, and when I put my book out, 42, I'm going to demonstrate and show individual of my misbehavioral conduct while I was in prison mm-hmm. to survive, salt, weapons, um, drugs, I mean, it's nothing that I will never hide or lie about. This is my story. I'll show the person that you can always persevere. Mm-hmm. Never give up on what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And never let nobody tell you you can't when you can't put your life to it. And I survived through that. A lot of my family, they had, you know, never thought I would come home because every time I write them, I get a, in the mail, two years, two years. I went to wow. nine parole boards. Mm-hmm. I had 18 years of hits. What does that mean? That means every time I went to the parole board, every two years I went to the parole board, it hit me with two years. With two more years? Two more years. Oh, wow. Okay. Remember, I was sentenced to 25 life. Right. And I got, I did 40 years, nine times to the parole board, and right. 18 years of hits. Was there a point in your experience in prison where you said to yourself, I'm no longer going to be involved in the internal drama happening in prison? Like, was there a point where something clicked in your head where you're like, this is exhausting for me, so I'm going to stop? And what, what was that point? What, how would you describe that point? But that point was, I can tell you the date and the time. Okay. March 31st of 2000, that's when my mother passed away. Okay. And that's where the whole turning point. I had a half turning point in September because it's these, these, these numbers that add up, and I play them all the time. My, mother, my father passed away September 4th. 1994. My brother passed away September 5th, 1994. Uh-huh. My aunt passed away September 6th of 2002. Four, five, six, that's the number, whatever, I, I play all the time. Just give me more strength. Back in that time, I was halfway through the board, 
border point, but I was still a straight. But when March 31st of 2000 came, and after I talked to my mother that Sunday, they came and got me that Thursday mm -hmm. to see my counselor and to tell me that my mother passed away because I was wondering why you had four officers mm -hmm. and a sergeant to bring me to the counselor. Mm -hmm. You know, I was puzzled because I said, I have no disciplinary hearing, right. uh, nothing like this here. So when she told me, I, I didn't believe it. Yeah. I didn't believe my mother passed away. So I went down to the funeral. I was the first one there. My mother had a open, the whole castle was open, mm -hmm. dressed in white, beautiful. She was laid in the rest. As I kneeled down and talking to her, all I remember laying my head on her chest. Mm -hmm. And all I was hearing, my niece, my sister, and my nephew saying, man, let her go, let her go. I had my mother halfway out the casket because I couldn't believe she was gone. Yeah. And she was my best friend, my mother's my best friend. And it was just that point where I felt her spirit. Mm -hmm. And just a moment to this day right now, I came home September 24th, 2015. I got baptized March 31st of 2013, which, you know, the pictures I have to show that she gave me the, the spirit, the courage mm -hmm. to do more. That's why I said, when I put fortitude, mm -hmm. let me strength the mind when I adore pain and courage, because I went through pain and courage to come out today to do this interview with you mm -hmm. and to take this further to show individuals, never say you can. I can, I am, and I will. That would be a part of my fortitude book. That's beautiful. Um, when you got back to prison after going, attending your mom's funeral, were there certain steps or actions that you took that you remembered that were totally different from actions that you took prior to that? Meaning, it sounds like there's a process of transformation that began after this experience. So I'm just wondering, in terms of actual actions that changed, like what were those actions? That was encouraged me to write. Okay. To put down my thoughts, because when I, was, when I went back to the prison, I sat down on my bunk, I was thinking, and I just thought this chill, she said, because every time I would call my mother, she would say, Maine, just make it home. That was a nickname that my family gave me when I was five years old, which I'm going to tell you a story about that. My aunt, Roxy, she used to cook a lot of collard greens, mustard mm -hmm. greens, turnip greens. So when I come to her house and I run to the kitchen, she said, here come my main man, because I love okay. vegetables. To this day right now, I love all vegetables. Yeah. And this, you know, inspired me. But back to my mother when I sit back on my bunk and I listen, and I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So I used to walk around the yard with my pad. I have, the, I, have, I have my book right here, Yeah. my pad, and I used to write down my thoughts. I have original you know, sayings that I put out there that have people saying, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So when the young individuals used to see me walk around the yard talking to myself, they said, oh, T, you all right? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. Why are you asking me that? Don't we see you talking to yourself? I said, no, but I got an answer to that, though. They okay. said, what is the answer? I said, at least I'm not talking to a fool. Mm. You know, and yeah. they go, Okay, all right. So now when I go, that's when interesting. I, yes, when I talk to them, when I show them certain steps and certain things of life, they go, "Wow, OT, you're right." Yeah. Because nothing get me upset. Because one thing that I have overcome, I control my feelings, my actions, and my thought. Because I tell people, don't judge by the words of my enemies or mm -hmm. the people that envy me. Judge by the man who I am. Who I present myself to you on the God through the judgments. Mm -hmm. I let people know that, and when they see. Anywhere I go around people, my spirit just bring them out. Mm -hmm. Because this is what I give out. I give out feelings. You can't 
negativity, that's, that's out of me because what I wrote down, once you flee negative temptation, mm-hmm. you don't leave a forward an address. Mm. And that's exactly what I did. I didn't leave a forward an address. And that inspired me to writing, to put things down. Mm-hmm. Because if you see it, when I've been perseverance, where I dedicated to my mother and my father mm-hmm. and my nieces, because they're the ones that, you know, believed in me, because mm-hmm. they seen that I believed in myself. So it sounds like the process of journaling, and it sounds like the process of journaling, journaling almost enabled you or gave you a, a structure to work through certain emotions and work through certain, uh, to get out of the, to get to the other side of negative thoughts into a more positive space. Uh, I'm curious, what did you do the, the, on the first, uh, the, like the moment you got out of prison? Like what, was, what was that like? Oh, wow. I mean, I, well, if you read in the Fort Society, um, the story that wrote me is words of wisdom, no, re-entry, where my niece came and got me. That was, that was so awesome because when I wrote them and told them, sent them a copy of my release papers, and my niece lived in Atlanta, unique, that's my uh, ride or die niece, unique. She like almost cracked because she couldn't believe it because every time I send her paper, it's two years, two years. Yeah. So she called my sister and she called her other sister and they said, we going on the website and showing up. That's, you know, that's what it is. And just the joy that they didn't tell me they won't come and get me. So I'm going out to the counselor. So yeah. we setting up things to like, I'm going into a three quarter house, you okay. know, and they, you know, and I'm going to take the bus down, you know, I was surprised them, but they surprised me. Okay. Yeah. When I came and my niece had a sign of me, welcome home, Maine, but the guards told her that she can't put signs up like that. She had a recording. You can't record oh. on prison ground. Okay. You know, not on prison ground because you can, you know, the structure, that's their security. Mm-hmm. But when she came and used the bathroom and she, they asked him, who are you coming to see? Oh, Mr. Dabney. Oh, I mean, the officers and there, the, the rapport, the respect I gained in there, they said, it's just a fine man because what I'm doing now, I was doing that in the penitentiary because in Washington Correctional Facility, I was mentoring young men from 16 to 21. Okay. Just changing their life around. All gains, blood, manettas, whatever you want. But when you come into my dorm, mm-hmm. put all that to the side. You become the man who you are mm-hmm. and the man I'm going to make you to be. And I had very pictures of individuals that I put structure in mm-hmm. their young men's lives, mm-hmm. the parents, grandparents, just thanking me, you know, and tell me if you need it. No, it's not for me one-on-one. It's just what I do because I see me and them mm-hmm. coming up. So I want to change their life because every individual have a talent. Mm-hmm. And I know where that talent is at because I wore a thousand masses. See, people wear a thousand masses. It's only put what mask you put on. Mm-hmm. But, you, but people don't put on the original mask, which I did. Because I killed my ego and hung my pride. Nobody controlled my film mask with all but me and my God. So when I show people structure that and show them how they can break that down, they go, wow, I never thought I said no. Remember, think, think, think. It might hurt like hell, but you get used to it like I did. Mm-hmm. I got used to it. Were there, were there any guys, for some of the guys who you mentored, was it, were there any... Uh, challenges in the beginning that you were that you felt were 
just difficult to overcome or I'm just curious about the process of how you were able to reach them because no. because were some of them super hard because of a lot of the I things that it. happened? I love it when they get hard like that. And how, so how did you penetrate that? Could, oh, okay, how it, I would see how they would come at me. Okay. How they would round their face up. Yeah. Uh, a lot of individuals, they put, they put on that hard rock. Yeah. They've never been nowhere because you're going to watch the crust, so that's like is half medium and half max. Okay. So when you come in, so when you put on that that mask, which I know that mask is, you know, I slide up to him and say, hey, don't buy you doing. All right. I said, listen, you got to do that with me. I understand that, man. You know, you got to put that up, you know what I'm saying, because you don't want people to know who you really are. Mm -hmm. But tell me who you really are, though. Mm. And then look at me. Why you say that? So I tell him, I said, well, listen, I've been in jail for over 30 something years right now. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to be in my shoes in here. Mm -hmm. So this is why I'm giving it to you. You know, just take heed, just watch me, mm -hmm. you know. You're hungry. Because I have a, everybody know me, I will feed you in a minute. Mm -hmm. If you're hungry, I'll feed you. And I love to cook. Mm -hmm. And I show individuals certain integrity of a man supposed to have. So I'll lay out my format to okay. them. It's a format, it's, it's a 12 steps, it's two of them. One is called E-Y-Y-L, meaning educate your young life. It's 12 steps to that. The other one is G-Y-A-C, is give yourself a chance. Okay. So once I have them read that, they go, thanks, OG. Okay. I said, just be yourself. Yeah. And I have it right here to show you. See, everything, what I'm telling you, is going to be right in the fortitude. Mm -hmm. The steps that I took people through, where I went through. Because the most teaching is the one experiencing. Mm. I've been through that. I've been through, you know, the, the putting on the hard face, putting on a persona. I know what it is. And that got me nowhere but more time. I caught a new bed in 06 in prison mm. because, because of that. So when I demonstrate and show people, no, that's not the way. You know, I take responsibility for myself. I don't blame nobody. Society owe me nothing. Mm -hmm. I got to give society to the young ones that's coming up right now. I feel good, feel great. You know, I exercise, and they, I exercise when the young dudes came and do exercise. Mm -hmm. And they love me. They said, oh, team, man, you, I said, yes, this is what I give out. They love being around me because I give up that good energy. Yeah. I, I, I push them to the limit. It's interesting because I'm curious about this because sometimes when I see young people in my neighborhood acting in a certain way that you can tell is, like you said, mask-oriented and ego-driven, I feel like... I should say something, but I also feel like there's a security issue because mm -hmm. I don't know them. I, and if they're in groups, they might be egging each other on. Right. Now, I'm going to give you a thing. Being you a female yeah. and how you will come at them, yeah. it would be throw them off balance because they're going to say, how you going to come at me with something? And, you know, yeah. you You've been there before. Yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah. Is, They're gonna question you. Yeah. So when I approach individuals, uh, wow! Did you say I've been home four years now? In 2016 and 17, I used to ride trains and run into a lot of young dudes. That, you know, I, I go to the crowds. I, I that was my dad's go pick them. Yeah. And I, and I <laughs> you would pick them out. Yeah. And yeah. I go to the crowds. You know, I said. This is my this is my this is my favorite word and everybody know it. What's up, little bruh? How y'all doing? What's going on? What's happening? So then you got about if you got about four of them, you got one 
going to put up that real facade. At least one. So that's the one that I get close to. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So when he be staring me down, whatever, and I look at him, I said, you know what? I felt that blessing you gave me. God oh, wow. God had put a spirit in. God had told me to tell you this here, little brother. Here, read this here. I'll give you something to read. Yeah. So all that, I just took control of all that negativity. He's just thinking about a Nepazana and show him something. And then at the end of the day, when I get off the train, oh, OT, you take care of me. I, yo, I appreciate so, that. So it usually works, in other words. <laughs> it works all the time. OK. Because okay. I showed him that I've been there. Yeah. And it got me nowhere. Yeah. It got me doing, I did 40 years. When I tell them the time I did, things I went to, they go. They, oh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they stop. They have to stop. And yeah. then, then, listen, they go pay heed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It never fails. That's so interesting. Yeah, no, I recognize that there's a distance and a, uh, a lack of connection. I just sometimes, sometimes when I see things, I have to let them go because it's not necessarily the right context right. or the right time to say or, something. Or you being by you know. yourself. Yeah, or by certain, myself. You know right. Okay, hypothetically speaking, say we go out somewhere and we see, when, you know, so I might start talking with them so they, they're going to look at you because mm -hmm. I, I done did it already. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what I'm telling you, I done did all that. You right. said, you do this here. So, and I showed them in my book when I wrote mm. Uplifting a Black Woman, mm. I gave them something to think about. Wow. Mm. I said, would you call your mother the B word? Mm. Would you call your father the N word? Right. I said, would you, you know, would you do your sins like that? I said, I understand that's a slang, mm -hmm. but you can't move them in the corporate ladder using that tone of voice. Right. I said, now, what you like to do? What is your hobby? I mean, what is your dream? What is your goal? I'm saying success come from within you mm -hmm. and it come out. Mm -hmm. You know, you got something, your talent. And I push a lot of individuals, broke out their talents, and now they're going right before they was going left. Mm -hmm. If you go to the Marcy Projects and say my name, oh, you'll hear his good thing. Oh, OT, yo, man, he's, yeah. I'm saying, Marcy, Sumner, anywhere I go at. I speak to everybody, everybody knowing me from the toddlers all the way to the grandparents. Yeah. I was going to ask you about some of the mentorship that you do now and what, that, what that's been like for you. It's been awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, like what I, I like what I'm doing. I'm just trying to get to that point where I'm established. I got my own thing going on. I'm with Reentry Kingmaker. Okay. And I'm the first publisher of Reentry Kingmaker. You know, Tony, she's, she held me down, mm -hmm. you know, and showed me how to, you know, to persevere. So can you explain uh, right quick what that means, reentry kingmaker? Reentry kingmaker, it means that we help incarcerated men mm -hmm. that's coming home to find their way in life. Okay. And I'm the first one that broke that barrier, the show individual, look what I did, mm -hmm. 40 years in prison, you come out here, a lot of men come out here they're not focused, they have people that take them to the left. Mm. Really, when they come out? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Them they're so-called friends. But see, when I get you, I'm gonna show you. Yo, come on, man, look look at me. Yeah. When you saw me in there, cause anybody that did over 25 years know me, I don't care what jail you're from, everybody know me from out of the state of New York. From Clinton to Comstock to Adder, Greenhaven, Sullivan, Shawonga, I can name them all. But when I came up to prison, when I came up through, it was only 14 jails in the state of New York. Okay. How many are there now? About 63, 64. Wow. Prisons, yes. 
this. When I was with the Rackers Island, there was only four houses on Rackers Island. HDM, the woman house, uh, C-74 and C-76. That was it. Wow. And they took me on Rackers Island, put me to um, Brooklyn House. From there, I went to Brooklyn House. I went to trial. In 1977, I was at Brooklyn House when they had the, the blackout. Mm -hmm. And I was in Brooklyn House. I was going to trial. Then I went to trial. I got sentenced upstate. My number, I went straight from there to Clinton. My number was 78A1810. That's where I got my number from. Wow. Clinton Danamora, New York. That's where I started my whole bit from, Clinton Danamora. And when I first came out there at a reception, um, you know, young man, no hair on my face, whatever. And back then, you had wolves, you know. Um, you know, men that's got 70 numbers. I mean, mm. older 70 numbers, you know, like. 1970, 1969, 1965. I would men like this. I would men that had them kind of numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, had men that had numbers where, you know, they got to the sunburn out. Mm -hmm. You know, so I had to really, you know, not blend in, but let them know that, hey, I'm here to do my time. I'm, and when I came to reception, mm -hmm. I had to break a man's jaw. Wow. You know, I'm being rude, and I got the report to show you. And then when I did his jaw, his friends wanted to jump in, and I had beat his friends up too. And then 200, 200 people come out the mess hall, trying to come at me to the rocks, cross, and stop. And they took me to the box. So, How long were you in the box for? Oh, I was in the box. Let me see. They gave me 90 days. You were in the box for three months? Yeah, uh, that's nothing. That, uh, <laughs> that's a piece of cake, Miss Lady. Um, in, in 2006, I had 30 months in the box. That's two and a half years. You were in the box for two and a half years? Of course. I, I did well, longer. What is it, does that mean you had zero, Segregation. zero yes. sunlight? No, look, I, I can go out to the, to the yard. Mm -hmm. So only you have an hour a day wreck. Mm. 23 hours a day, you're locked in, and you have an hour a day wreck. It's your choice if you want to go out or not. Mm. You know, all depends the weather, climate. And, well, long-term key block, they have certain prisons that have long-term key block. You have Southport, that's a single male cell. You have Upstate, you have someone, you have certain boxes where high your, your security is, that's where you're gonna place you. So, did that, did those years in the box make you harder or no, softer in no, retrospect? make me think much better. It made you think much better. Yeah. How so? How did it make How you think so? Much because this is not the way it lived. Because I never repeated myself in no jail I went to a box from, and that's what a lot of officers is. see. Back then, a lot of officers used to make bets because individuals come to the box so much. Oh, I see. You know what I'm saying, and they would say, "Well, he'll be back in in two or three days." You yeah. Know? But when, every time I go to the box, nah. Definitely, hold on, go back. Okay. You know, and they and they see that I was focused on what I want to get out, especially in 2006. Mm -hmm. I was really, you know what I'm saying, after that, after that box incident. That was it. That was it. Nothing, I mean, that really took a focus. They gave me 30 months, and they gave me a new charge, Miss Lady. They gave me one and a half to three. Running crazy now, you can't. Where, how they thought I was ignorant to the law, and when they sentenced me, the illegal sentenced me, of the one and a half to three, they plus they gave me 26 and a half to life. I know because you will eat up mm. the three years because I have life. Right. So they got to put the one and a half to three in the front. 
to which I was sentenced to 26 and a half of life. They didn't do that. So I went through a lot of trials and tribulations to, um, to have that turned out because they kept hitting me because of that and it was being redundant, mm-hmm. you know, and um, where I had a team of individuals, you know, that we, it was like four of us, we stayed in the think tank, the law library, which was like, like our office because I was uh, the chairman of the ILC. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the inmate liaison committee where I make sure that the population have what they need or what the Department of Correction supposed to give them. Okay. As far as TV, uh, if you got a microwave stove or anything that's whatever, I'm going to make sure that be repaired or be replaced. Okay. I was representing for the population. Okay. You know, and I used to, you know, do all that, so. That, ta- that being in that position, did that give you a lot of, like, necessary responsibility to structure your life? No, because I don't let nothing bother me. See, that's the, that's the whole trick of it. I don't let nothing bother me because I stay focused on. When negativity keep coming, I keep putting that positive in there until I make that change. Okay. So I kept pushing more. So I learned about you through Children of Promise, which mm-hmm. is where I volunteer. Uh, Mr. Walker told me about you. Mm-hmm. So how did you... Beautiful man. Yeah, he's awesome. I also interviewed him for this podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, how did you get connected to or find out about Mr. Walker or Children of Promise? And that was very... I was in Washington Correctional Facility in 2011. Okay. I seen the advertisement, so I wrote and got the brochure. I said, wow. I said, okay, Children of Promise, because they had for incarcerated men, the parents, mm-hmm. and they helped kids, you know, after school program, you know, it was, it was, it was up my alley. Mm-hmm. So I wrote them, Miss Cajette, she wrote me back. I used to send a little donation from while I was in prison, my little commissary, a little donation. Mm-hmm. And to this day right now, they got my letters. They yeah. And so I work on a job plus, which I do a part-time job there. I'm a community coach around Marcy Projects. Okay. And they said uh, they're looking for a cook. So I, she said, excuse me, she said, Mr. Hall, take your resume and go ahead. Okay. So I took my resume up there, Mr. Content. So when I come my resume and I start talking my name and I start talking to no problem and she looked, so Miss Tony was the correspondent coordinator. Okay. And she went back, she said, because I'm on the board, she said, he, he was. I said, yes. I said, this is my dream come true, me working with Joe, because this is what my passion is, to help young men, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? You know, women to encourage to keep going on. And from then on, I became the cook there, and I do a little mentoring on the side with the youngsters down there. Okay. Every little kid in there know me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They love the food that I cook for them. And anytime you see me, I got a smile on my face. How, how often are you in the facility? Oh, uh. Or how often do you visit, I guess? What, Children of Promise? Yeah. I work there. For how long? Are you still working there? Yes. I, I worked there during the summer. They rehired oh, okay. me. Okay. Back for the kitchen. So during the summers, yeah. yeah. And they rehired me back again. Okay. For coming in because, you know, me, me and the cook there. Yeah. And just how my spirit, my personality, and being that um, reentry king makers is right in the same building. Oh, okay. Of Children of Promise. Okay. And my coach, Tony, she's right there. So uh, everything fit right in, right in place. That's perfect. That's seamless, yes. basically. So I should see you this summer then, because I'll probably, probably be there this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said you were a community coach. Coach. What mm-hmm. was that experience like in the Marcy Projects? 
You know, I grew up in Marcy. Okay. You know, and experienced life with a lot of individuals, young individuals that I know. Uh, I know their parents, their grandparents. Mm -hmm. And once they see how I'm coming out here, what I'm doing, they they said, wow. They called me to triple OG because they said, wow, what you did, and you come out here, you different. Yeah. Were people, when you came back, were people that you knew who were there just totally surprised because it was a different man yes. standing yeah, in front of them? Especially the old timers. Yeah. And it's sad to say, quite a few of them still stuck on stupid double park on them. Okay. <laughs> they got three citations. Okay. <laughs> still. Yeah. Yeah. But I encourage them each and every day, you know. When, well, they know when they ask for money, I said, no, are you hungry? Right. Right. They go, yeah, I said, come on, I'm going to feed you. No, right. I need the money. I said, because you're not hungry. That's interesting. So that's so funny because, yeah, I've heard this same, a similar thing from my parents yeah. about, I think it was from my dad, actually, mm. uh, about uh, that same approach when you, when you encounter poverty or when you encounter homelessness. And I remember one time I was on the train and this guy was asking for money and I had, you know, a leftover food. Actually, so I was just like, oh, I have this if you'd like. And he was like, no, nah, I don't want that. And it was like, yeah, it was like the same exact situation. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you can't make a person change. No. Right? It has to come from within themselves. Within themselves. Right? But then that's when you got to go in themselves and bring it out them. Yeah, but see, that that is, <laughs> I don't know. I totally agree, but it's also hard. <laughs> from your you, point of view. You're, but you're just talking about these you were just talking about these old timers that yeah. have never changed. Yeah, you see, you know. But I keep encouraging each and every day when they see me. Yeah. They know they got a lecture coming from me, and they okay. sit there and listen. Okay, so that's good. That's that's something. And I had three of them already went to rehab. Okay. To clean yourself up. That's good. You know, I I encourage a lot, and you know, I have a lot of clothes. If I see that, you know, whatever, I would give you some clothes. You know, I'm yeah. always. I'm always giving. Mm -hmm. You know, when you need, I see you need, I give it to you. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You know, because I know you need it. Yeah. You know, you might, can't ask, but I can see it, I can feel it, so that's when I slide up to you and whisper to you, and that's when they go, how do you know? I said, don't worry about it. Yeah. How do you know, by the way? By looking spirit. My spirit and my vibes are so high that God had put it to me to at that point well, I can feel, I can read people from a drop of a dime. Okay. Because, well, how I built that up, I talked to every, almost every serial killer, almost every, anybody in life of crime, state troopers, judges that was locked up. Mm -hmm. I talked to everybody to mm -hmm. see what's in their mind. So that's why I developed. I Me, see. myself, I'm a psychologist, sociologist, and pathologist. Because, mm -hmm. Certain roles they've been there, I've been there, I talk with them and see where their mindset is at. Mm -hmm. So, I, like I said, I've been around thousands and thousands of personalities. Mm -hmm. So, by me being around thousands of personalities, I got to know a lot of things about in certain journeys where you have a psychiatrist, he reads through books, he have experience, or sit down and talk to, mm -hmm. or been with an individual cell by cell in a, in a yard, walking in a yard. With an individual that got twenty seven bodies mm. and got into the sun burnout. Mm. Yeah, that's intense. And you look at him, you say, him? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I mean, I know from the skinheads, any, any game you say walk of life, 
I would know them. I would sit down and talk with them. Mm-hmm. And that's why they said, OT, that's what we respect. Because you know what? I'm a high plane drifter. That's what made me come out much better to know people and to put perseverance. Mm-hmm. Finish one course to success. And my course was to come out here and doing what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't wait to meet Steve Harvey. I can't yeah. wait to meet certain people that have shown that my curriculum yeah. of what a man could do, what fortitude is. Yeah. I mean, nobody really, since I've been out, I never really saw a person came out showing what fortitude is and showing what the strength of mind that I do a pain and courage that I went through and come out here to show it. You would never know until I would tell you. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I think, I feel like there's this organization you might already be familiar with them, but if not, I think you would like them. Have you heard of Homeboy Industries? No, I haven't. So Homeboy Industries is an organization out of Los Angeles mm-hmm. that was started by uh, a Catholic priest by the name of Father Gregory Boyle. Mm-hmm. And basically what they do is they rehabilitate former gang members back into society. Okay. So they give them, you know, they give them job training. They, give, they have rehabilitation sites mm-hmm. as well. They mm-hmm. give them a lot of spiritual development. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I do believe it's only in L.A. And so, you know, obviously I, I, I hope to see some of these organizations like, like Homeboy Industries, like Children of Promise, you know, replicated all across the country. Right. Um, but I think that organization re- would really vibe with your spirit. So if you get a moment to look them up, I think you would, and I can send you the, the link as well. I okay. think you would really, uh, you would find them, what they do, very beautiful. Um, my last question is, what are the top five values that you would impart specifically to young black men who you encounter, who are going through different things, going through different challenges, wrestling with ego and stuff like that? Okay, I tell them, I live by four principles each and every day. Four principles, okay. Yeah, and I tell them, one is perseverance, intensity steadfastness and persistence. Mm-hmm. Number two is perseverance. You know what I'm saying? Keep going on. The third one, then have integrity. Integrity, yeah. That's the main important part, integrity. Once you gain integrity, be honest with oneself, be honest with others, mm-hmm. right? The fourth one is, gotta set your boundaries. No boundaries, no destiny. Mm-hmm. To waste time is to exist, to use time is to live. What choice you gonna make? Mm-hmm. You know? And I tell them to keep going on. And they look at that go. And a lot of them put it on their phone, and they tell me they remind them of that. Mm-hmm. The four principles mm-hmm. to live by. You can't go wrong without that. Mm-hmm. Once you be onto oneself, be onto others, you never go wrong. How do you teach these guys to be able to resist the external pressure? Oh, I tell them, listen, you gonna let him control your feelings, action, your thoughts. If you're mm-hmm. doing that, what is your purpose of living? Mm. By letting someone else control. Yeah. yeah. What is your goal? Yeah. Please explain that to me. Yeah. You know, they go, you're right, but I said, but it's a doubt. Yeah. So you doubt yourself? Yeah. Yeah. And That's I, good. That's and I good. bring them out and I show up. I said, listen, I can, I am, and I will read that. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining this podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. No. Oh, when tell us when the book is gonna be out so we can see it, we can go get it. Uh, twenty twenty. I'm bringing out in January because that'll be bringing a new year and that'll make five years. I've been whole. Oh, that's amazing. Free 
off life parole. I, I broke That's a record. Awesome. I got off in three years. Wow. 2018. I got off December the 20th, 2018, five days before Christmas. You know, when I got that phone call, you know, that was so awesome. I mean, I sat on my bed and cried tears of joy and happiness. When I called my nieces and my people, they said, could they could they said, Uncle Man, you did it. I said, I know I did, because no I got faith within myself. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I did it. I did it. That's awesome. Right now I'm free, you know. Um I I just I just enjoy life. When people see my spirit, they say, Man, your spirit is so high. I said, No why? Because when you run with wolves, you know how to howl like a wolf. Mm. But when you associate with eagles, you soar through the greatest heights. Mm. That's what I did. So what's the name of the book? Fortitude? Fortitude. Fortitude, coming out in January 2020. That's right. Be on the lookout. It's going to be on Amazon? Amazon. Okay, check it out, guys. Thank you for listening to the Theory of Enchantment podcast. Bye-bye. Today's quote of the day comes from the poet Rainer Maria Rilke who said in his famous book, Letters to a Young Poet, perhaps all the dragons in our lives are princesses who are only waiting to see us act, just once, with beauty and courage. Perhaps everything that frightens us is, in its deepest essence, something helpless that wants our love. That makes for another episode of the Theory of Enchantment podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And as always, please share, retweet, Facebook post to all your friends so they can get in on this too. And have a wonderful week. Until next time, I'm Chloe Valdery.